Welcome to our podcast, where everyone here at NADATA gets to sound off on the latest things happening in the AI and machine learning space, talk about new ways to manage data, and or talk about all the geeky things we love to hate, or is it hate to love? I'm Steve Aberly, your host who moonlights as the chief of products here for NADATA. Be sure to stick around until the end of the podcast, where I always ask our guests' opinion on how close we really are to the AI-induced robot apocalypse. You're listening to Anadata's podcast, Should I Say Thank You to Siri? This week, our guest is Major General Jennifer Knapper, former commander at Netcom, J5 at Cybercom, and now the VP of Cyber for Prospecta, an organization Anadata has a close partnership with. And there's a guest host this week, David Simon, the Chief Revenue Officer at Anadata, and I'm jealous to have missed this one. There's a couple of interviewing threads throughout this podcast where our guests and hosts talk about cybersecurity, but also challenges we help prospective overcome with distributed and disparate data, integrating that and creating what we like to call AI ML-ready data. They also chat about offensive and defensive cyber operations, protecting your company from cyber attacks. And Major General Napper has a fantastic approach for network security via micro-segmentation and a zero-trust security baseline approach. Listen in here. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate, uh, appreciate the intro, as always. And so I get the uh, pleasure today of sitting down with Jennifer Napper, uh, retired Major General, former commander of Netcom, former J5 of Cybercom, 30 years of distinguished service to the United States Army. Thank you, Jennifer, for taking time to sit down with us. Oh, and of course, uh, your current role, the role uh, here at Perspecta as the vice president of the cyber segment. And so I uh, do appreciate you taking time and finding, finding a few minutes to sit down with us and talk about AI, machine learning, and how it applies to and where things are going in the cyber community. Well, thank you for asking me to talk. It's okay. always good to meet with you. So it's uh, great to see you again. Uh, as, as always, enjoy these conversations when we get a chance to sit down. Uh, let's just start with uh, what do you see going on? You've had some big wins. You've had some great awards here recently. And uh, what do you see going on in the cyber community? Well, it's really nice to see the, uh, the leadership across the services in the whole joint world talking the same message. Um, it's very clear that there's a vision that General Nakasone has put out there that is really embraced by all three services. As you know, we just uh, were fortunate enough to win the Army Cyber Cyberspace Operations Support Contract, um, a great opportunity to partner with uh, Army Cyber, uh, near and dear to my heart, obviously, having been the, the deputy commander there while the, the commander at NETCOM. Um, and it's a great mission set that just continues to evolve. The recognition that, and you've seen it, I'm, I'm you know, preaching the choir here, but the recognition that cyber for cyberspace alone is not very interesting, uh, but incorporating it into all operations, embracing the fact that there are other means of delivering cyber weapon systems through electronic warfare, um, the recognition of, of information as a powerful tool uh, in the strategic uh, powers kit bag, right, um, and how you look at information a little bit differently. All those things are coming together right now with the right leaders in the right places. So it's great to be part of that team and, and to work with them on that. Yeah, that's a, an interesting point. So where, so what most excites you, I think, right now about what you're seeing and as, as the services are starting to come together and as the communication is more open uh, across the department, uh, 
Um, what are the things I think that you're seeing, the trends that you're seeing that you're most excited about? Yeah, and it's not just the department. You know, the presidential um, strategy that just came out on cyberspace um, actually looks a lot like the DOD has been talking about for a while. So it's really nice to see the whole of government getting behind it. But to your point, one of the things that I think is most interesting is the recognition that there's a lot of information, a lot of data, but it's not all usable by the commanders right now, right? You know, so uh, as we went through the last 17 plus years in, in combat, there was a recognition of the utility of the tactical and operational data and the necessity to correlate and, and make that fusible and, and make it usable for the commanders. But even there, we were still fielding separate sensor systems with its own comms and then having to correlate someplace else. If you take that and look at the whole of, of the, the information set across, just stick to DOD because the government, whole of government's a little bit too much to look at, there's a recognition that there's other types of data that are just as critical for that decision making that have been left in stovepipe places or, or kept in one set of servers, not shared, and, and can impact whether that's you know, open source or logistical or administ even administrative. And being able to pull that data together and actually make sense out of it is, is the next logical you know, challenge and step. No, and of course that's a great kind of lead into uh, our partnership and how we first were introduced and got to know each other. Obviously uh, at NN Data, our Encompass product uh, is really focused on uh, how to bring that kind of stuff together uh, when you talk about information and data not being usable and how do you quickly transfer that. And I think we saw that uh, when we first started in the Army Training and Doctrine Command or TRADOC uh, project, ATEX. And that was an exciting project. Um, if you've ever, and you have, because you're a former Army also, if you've ever worked inside, been a student in TRADOC, you know that there's a huge, huge challenge. And the, and the challenge is ex exacerbated by the fact that um, the data itself is a lot of times local, right? So something as simple as pulling together range data, student data, which may be in an HR system and not in a, a TRADOC system, um, current training statistics, I mean, those are all disparate kinds of data, much less in different systems. The ability to pull that in and ingest it and say, here is a way to look at training differently and really focus on readiness of individuals and the units differently. That's what was so exciting about ATES. And of course, none of that worked with all the, the great GUI and the great visualization without having you know, your company kind of pull this very strange data in some cases <laughs> all into one place so that decisions can be made about who should go to the range and, and who's ready to go to NTC, right? The National Training yeah. Center. And all of that, that, it's that whole range from the individual all the way up to the the very large scale maneuver operations that has to be looked at. I think all data on some level is strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the data guy, Thank you know, so, so you know, it may be. Uh, so I think that it's a, what do you think about, uh, you know, it's a, I was thinking about the cyber programs and the cyber initiatives that you're working on. And then as we were talking about TRADOC in my mind, I started to think about the cyber ranges and now, how does that, the cyber world and the training world, and where do they collide, and what, what do you see happening in, in that cyber training space? Interesting you should ask that. When I was down at the CERTS con, uh, conference in January, uh, that's the Cyber Engineering Research Training Symposium that uh, the Cyber Center of Excellence runs. There was a whole panel on ranges, and it was an interesting discussion because 
ranges were built for specific purposes. So if you try and have a conversation about cyber ranges, you immediately waded into, well, this is really to test new systems. So it's a T&E range. It's not an operational range like you and I would think about. Then you get into the joint warfighting guys who think of ranges, you know, at the very high level of joint warfighting and what they're expecting to see up there and the products going out that, that a COCOM could use in cyber. And then there's the Cyber Center of Excellence who's just really trying to train the students and small units on how to do operations in and through cyberspace and to integrate them into other operations. So even that discussion about ranges quickly ran into the silos of a range for what, and then how do you share across those? How do you take what you learned in the test and evaluation of a particular weapon system, sensor to shooter, the whole connective, take that out to the training and the small unit training, right? The individual and small unit training, and then take that up the level to the joint. That data, I mean, if you just think about it from there, everything from your telemetry out on the white sands and, and everything else, all that pulling it together is another problem for you. <laughs> <laughs> but then you take that and put that into a freewheeling operational space for cyber operators to go in and do offensive and defensive operations in, and you have to emulate the, the weapon systems and the sensitive shooter of your adversary and let them play against that. Now we're talking some real interesting fun, but you gotta get to the first step first, right? Um, that, that's a great, great, not just a great point, but I think the, the interesting conversation you know, around defensive operations uh, and how they communicate and how they work alongside and, and what's our role um, as a nation, uh, what's our role as industry, um, what's our role from a services perspective on more offensive operations and how do those two worlds talk? So you and I as, as young officers were taught all about offense, defense and security and there's a difference. Security protection is one bucket. You put on your Kevlar and you've got armored vehicles. We talked about active and passive defense, okay? And you need both in cyber, just like you needed it in the, in the land, right? In air and in space. Um, and then there's offense, you know, and, and that you and I both understand the role of offenses and whether or not that's an act of war and, and what levels need to permission to that. But I still go back to active and passive defenses mm -hmm. being defense and um, the right to defend oneself that includes, in my mind, even in cyberspace. And so that discussion gets real touchy when you start talking about the active defense, right? Um, I'll put it in air defense terms. Since I served on 32nd ADCOM and, and we had this kind of beat in our heads, right? The ability to shoot at someone who's shooting at you, right? Yes. Is an active defense. Mm -hmm. It is not an offense. It is an active defense. The passive defense was to obfuscate, to go and, and um, put out, um, blockers and EW things that would stop them from being able to find you and that kind of stuff. So there's no question in my mind we should be able to do passive defense. And then we'll let the lawyers argue about where the line is in active defense. But the right for self-defense is a nation and a person's right. So I don't, under, you know, I don't understand the bigger arguments um, or concerns about that other than when you get into the active defense, is that an active war. Well, not if they were shooting at me first. So now when you start talking commercial, I don't, 
you're out there. I, yeah, there's a whole nother <laughs> set of issues. But that data that's necessary to make the determination of who's shooting at you, right, and, and really putting the correct um, characterization of the, the weapon system and who owned it and where it came from and those kinds of things in cyber gets a little bit more complicated and becomes one of your problems again. <laughs> All these data problems keep coming. <laughs> That's why we, you know, we partner with you very closely. Um, um, I think that I think it's an interesting challenge to face that we've seen uh, in the media in recent months. Uh, you know, and even over the last year, a lot of attacks against industry. And you said, you know, we get into this different world when we start talking about the, the, the private sector and about uh, industry having to protect its own data and having to protect against attacks that are happening on it. And I think that, uh, I think that as a whole, uh, the industry is behind in figuring out how to apply layers of cyber protection. Um, I'm curious what you see and you know, stepping away from the government side of it for a moment and looking at it from a, how do we protect our companies and what are some of the, the issues and challenges coming up around that? As much as I hate the discussion around um the protection and security because you can spend your whole life and resources in that area. You have to do the basics, right? You have to understand what, what of your data is most important and protect it differently than I don't care if anyone, you know, sees most of my email. But sure. I do care, you know, if they get and look at our proposal data, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I really care if they get into HR because that's PII, you know, personal yeah. identifying information that's protected by law. So, you know, for companies, the first step really is deciding what data is most important to protect um, and to secure differently than the, than the basics, right? Um, and looking at that totally differently, you cannot assume that you're never going to be breached. You need to have something that's going to alarm as soon as you're breached, and you have to think differently about that. Um, and then the remediation has to be quick. It can't be six months from now I'll finally fix the whatever the vulnerability was that allowed them to get, have access. So. One of the things that we've been looking at I think is the uh, not just uh, protection of that data but then you know as you and I know in the when we talk about classifications of data that on the industry side we may have bits and pieces that the amalgamation of that data changes a whole conversation too. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. That becomes a challenge. So there's some, some really good articles out there about micro-segmenting your network, about zero trust in your network to begin with, and micro-segment the network so that I as a manager um, can understand my personnel and my finance data, but I can't see my buddies, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the finance people shouldn't see all the HR data, and the HR people don't need to see the finance data. And so deciding role-based who gets access to what data and for what purpose, um, and micro-segmenting your network that way, and assume that that there's the trust is based on identity and not on I've got a really good firewall somewhere. I think that if if I was to design a network from the beginning today, I would start with a zero trust, which means somewhere it's going to be breached. I would micro-segment so that only people have access that need to have access, and I would I would quite frankly secure the data in route and, and at rest in between those, those micro segments.
Perfect. Thanks, Jennifer. Uh, again, it's always great to sit down, see you, and uh, have a conversation. I always walk away learning a bunch of things, taking a, a ton of notes, and so I just want to thank you for, for carving out a little time to sit down with us. It's always fun to talk with you, but I really need to understand the data better. So next time we talk, <laughs> let's talk data geek stuff. Okay. Sounds like a plan. I agree. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Jennifer. I will volunteer to talk data geek stuff ad nauseum, General Napper, so I hope to be there next time where perhaps I'll get a chance to ask you your thoughts on how close we really are to the AI-induced robot apocalypse. Tune in next time, where Jerry Gay and I talk about the amazing things Amazon is doing in the AI space, how organizations can orchestrate and consume the output of those services. Thanks to General Knapper and David Simon. That wraps up this episode of Should I Say Thank You to Siri.